This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. It's Thursday afternoon, and that means it's time for another edition of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I am uh, Jack the Iceman Pelzer, uh, joined as usual by uh, Dan... Dan Hodgman. I got no I got no nickname. I was not prepared for that, Jack. See, that was an experiment there. I was interested to see what you said in the middle. So I was I gonna go with Maverick. I was gonna go with Dan Maverick Hodgman, but you can't you just can't go right to Maverick. No, no. Well the reason I asked about nicknames is because today our guest is Airplane Jane herself, Jane Galena, uh, the founder of C Jane Trade. Dan, it was a pretty great interview, right? It was really fun. It's what I liked about it is being able to sit down and talk to someone who is going through what I think most traders, especially newer traders, are going through, balancing life, balancing, figuring out work, um, raising a family, working from home, and then, oh, let's throw trading on top of it. So I think it's uh, she's got a great story here and um, you know, quite a, just an interesting history from flying planes to culinary school. <laughs> culinary school in Paris and France. I mean, just, it, I'm not going to go too much. I'll let her explain it, but uh, man, cool story. Well, and that's something a lot of our traders at Top Step um, talk about is how you sort of balance trading with the other things going on in your life or having a second career, having a family. And so it's interesting to see someone who's been able to do that successfully. Absolutely. Yeah. So also before we get started, I'll uh, forego my usual rant about uh, where stocks are right now. Um, just say they're at all time highs. They always are. And, um, <laughs> I will note that it is, uh, top steps eighth anniversary right now. So if you go to the website, check out the banner, we got some packages for you. Uh, if that's something you're interested in and if you trade some other way, that's cool too. Uh, just check us out if you want to, uh, Dan, you got anything to say before we get started? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, well, there were some slight technical issues with this episode. I think they were able to be stitched together, but um, the uh, current pandemic has put a great amount of stress on our <laughs> remote communication network. Home internet is just not what it used to be. Yeah, we're going to have to build one of those $50 million microwave lines like uh, <laughs> some of the trading firms that are now obsolete. Right. So anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview with... Airplane Jane and founder of C Jane Trade, Jen Galena. We'll see you afterwards with a few more words. We're joined today by someone with a wonderful uh, jungle background, which I did not know <laughs> existed in Montreal. It is yes. uh, Jane Galena from uh, the founder of C Jane Trade is with us today. Jane, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. I, I love Montreal, by the way. Um, there seems to be a lot of traders that are stationed there. I don't know what that's necessarily all about, but been there a few times. Love it. Have you been there long? Or? Well, I immigrated up to Canada in 2013. And so I've been here now seven years. Goodness, time flies. And it used to be the financial center of Canada. So that could be the reason why. And then once everything happened with French language laws, everything like that, with the PQ, then people really migrated to Toronto. Now Toronto is the epicenter of the, of the financial world for Canada. But it used to be in Montreal. And so I think that is also part of the reason why. And there's also a an options exchange here for Canada. 
Cool. Yeah, I was shocked the first time I went there just how uh, prevalent it was that people spoke only French. So that was a little bit jarring, but super cool place. Uh, and you have a super cool background. So uh, since some people listening may not be familiar with your work, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, it doesn't have to be your entire life unless you want to, but sort of how you got into trading and uh, what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. Well, I ended up in the trading world after college. I was an international business degree. And I went to Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee as an international business major. And being from Washington, D.C., I was like, you know what? This is an awesome place, but it's too small for me. So I'm going to pick up and I'm going to move to Atlanta. Well, who was hiring back in 99, 2000? It was the brokerage firms. And I'd been working in a bank and I thought, you know what? That sounds interesting to me, fresh out of college. Let me go and check out the brokerage world. So I went ahead and I started working at Solomon Smith Barney in the Pinnacle Building in Atlanta. And I ended up getting my Series 7. And then I was working with four different brokers, taking the orders, servicing their clients, everything like that, learning the tools of the trade at that time. And I was really good at it. And one of my brokers said, hey, I've been here for 25 years. You're amazing. I would love to partner with you. And then just a couple of weeks later, as we know, the market can be volatile the dot-com bubble really imploded. And they had the WorldCom options, uh, WorldCom employee options at that office. And I saw the devastation happen to people that had taken margin out against their options without exercising them. They'd lost you know, money for their mortgage. They lost their kid. Yeah, <laughs> Dan's up there nodding his head. Lost money for their children's college fund. I mean, they lost their homes because maybe they bought a vacation home or something like that. They couldn't pay for it. And they thought, oh, this is great. You know, everything is booming. Well, we know that quickly it can change in the trading world. And so that made me really see, you know what, I don't think I really want to work with other people's money. And they were also giving voluntary layoffs at that time. And I thought, you know what, it's scary, but I've always had a love to go to culinary school. So sayonara, first layoff of my life. And I went to culinary school in Italy. That's such a transition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was passionate about food and I feel, you know, life is a lot about following your passions, right? And it's about happiness and being happy with what you're doing. And that that point in my life, I wanted to go to culinary school and I have an Italian background. I wanted to continue my Italian studies. So it worked hand in hand. Yeah, that's awesome. Dan, Perfect. when uh, when I left the uh, like the old trading firm, I actually did took a sabbatical and did uh you know, like a week long cooking immersion and thought quite a bit about going to culinary school. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's not that weird. Cooking, <laughs> trading, it's all kind of the same. Yeah. You've always, you've got these little components that you put together for a final result, right? It happens with trading too. Yeah, exactly. And as we say a lot, there's that je ne sais quoi too. It's not just, all, you, you can give people the ingredients, but they're not going to be a great chef necessarily. Well, that's cool. So how long did you stay in Italy for? Uh, I was in Italy and Paris for a total of a year. So I did nine months in Italy and three months in Paris. I actually went to Cordon Bleu and was first in my class there for the uh, first session. They do three sessions. So that was really awesome as well. And then I came back, went to, I was living in Philadelphia and worked in the restaurant world, had my own wholesale pastry business, ended up shutting it down because it was just too much on my shoulders. I got into real estate and that's when I got into aviation and really adopted Airplane Jane as the name. I had my pilot's license back in 1996 is when I got it. So goodness, 24 years ago now. And then I was working just in customer service. And I met my husband, who's a pilot. 
and I ended up immigrating up to Canada. So in changing countries with the airline, I ended up changing unions. And when if you know anything about the airlines, they are all seniority based. So for those people that are dealing with it now, going through layoffs, it goes based on seniority. You know, the last one hired is the first person out the door. Well, even though I had seven years with the company, I was now the new hire up in Canada and they went through a reduction of workforce. And at that point, I was eight months pregnant. And so it was really painful to deal with the fact that I was getting laid off from a company after being there at that point, eight years with that company, but one year in Canada. So I had to find a new job at that point in time and figure out how I was going to go ahead and provide for my family. And so my husband reminded me of a great trade where I turned $25,000 into $250,000. And so I was like, you know what? That's true. I I do love trading, but I think I want to be a bit more hands-on. And so I started to look into day trading. And so it really, it was my second layoff in life that brought me back to the trading world. Cool. And just a side note for everybody out there, you talk about, I like your attitude about getting laid off too, because getting laid off sucks. Um, But everyone out there, don't let it be too much of a reflection on who you are as a person. You know, you got to kind of move forward from these things. So I think it's really cool that you kind of jumped around so much, but then you eventually landed on trading again. Yeah. And now looking back at it, I feel like every time that I've had a layoff in my life, it's been a blessing in disguise. And so I think that's for everyone. It can make you really do some soul searching to see what you really want to do. Sometimes we need that extra push to go ahead and get into a different job or, you know, go for a promotion and pushes you to push that envelope and break free from your fears. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I get too complacent doing things and sometimes you need that external force to move you on. Um, so now you're back into the trading. Uh, what did you start trading? What sort of products were you doing or what were you looking at? Well, originally I searched online. I was like, okay, well, I want to start off with small capital. So I'm going to start with penny stocks. And I'm sure you guys know when I first searched trading penny stocks, Timothy Sykes popped up. And so I ended up going through his millionaire challenge program. And I started February of 2015 when my daughter was six months old and I'd taken 6,000 out of my other account. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start with a small amount of capital and I'm going to go ahead and practice with that. Well, blew right through it. I was trying to trade, deal with a newborn at six months old and learn how to trade. And it was just like, you know what? No, I need to put the real money aside I need to spend time paper trading and really figure it out instead of jumping right into it and combating the psychological side with the learning process. Because when you're trying to learn how to trade, yes, everybody wants to make money, but you need to learn how to do it first before you battle that psychological edge of maybe losing money because you don't know what you're doing and you don't have the risk management set up properly. And so it can be very detrimental to the process because you're revenge trading and you don't even know what revenge trading is because you're so new. You're just like, I want these profits. I see other people making amazing profits. I want that too. And that should be the drive, not necessarily to trade, but to study and learn the process. Yeah. That's spectacular. So when you got started and what was the first thought? Because you're trading with six grand, you're pretty new into this penny stocks day trading What's the first processes and thoughts that you're having when you're putting these trades on without really understanding why you're putting those trades on? 
Well, I was I was really following the lower float, like the pump and dumps that Timothy Sykes talks about a lot. And I thought that I was doing a good job. I'd set a stop limit order to protect myself. And well, I put my limit too close to my stop. So those are so volatile that it can go right past that limit order. And it just skipped my order. So I was thinking, oh, okay, well, I'm good. I'm set. I'm going upstairs to go change a diaper. No problem. I come back and I'd lost like $1,200. And I was like, well, that was a tough lesson to learn about a stop limit order. But okay, that's one step, right? Mm -hmm. And so now I'd already eaten into it. Um, And then learning to really not hold on, be a bag holder with a losing trade or to add on to a losing trade. Uh, I highly recommend for all newer traders as well to read Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. Why are you, it's like putting in extra time and energy to a bad relationship to somebody that's not treating you right. Why are you going to do that? Just break up with them. Go ahead, break up with that bad trade and move forward with a new relationship, a new trade. And maybe that's going to be a great one. With day trading, it's a lot of, you know, maybe one night stands, swing trading's a little short-term relationship, <laughs> and then long-term investments being married to that stock. You know, when you're a trader, you can you can have those one night stands and just move on and be and just move on to a new uh, a new opportunity. Yeah. And for the long term, you can overlook the faults for years and years and just keep it going. Exactly. Uh, yeah, reminiscence of a stock operator is it's the only book that no matter what trading firm I've been at, they always make you read. It's, it's just like required reading for the uh, topic. And it was written right over a hundred years ago, right? Or a hundred years ago or something like that. Yeah. 1918. And another one that I just read recently is the Pitbull by about Martin Buzzy Schwartz. That one's a great one too. And that's a bit more modern because that is the late seventies through until the nineties. And so it talks about he was still drawing all of his charts out by hand. It was before really the huge wave of technology of uh, NASDAQ and all of the charting being on a computer instead of being handwritten. Oh, yeah. It's amazing you bring that up. My first mentor, one of my first mentors, he was an older gentleman. He's been in the he's been a market analyst for since early 60s, still draws his charts by himself every day. Does not trust the computer. <laughs> all, all I can think about now is that Paul Tudor Jones documentary where they're drawing the things and he's uh, wearing Bruce Willis's shoes. That, that was quite something. <laughs> he uh, really wanted to bury that. But you can still find it, people. We'll send out a link at some point. <laughs> so uh, you kind of moved on a little bit from the penny stocks or, you know, how did you evolve as a trader and kind of what, what do you find yourself doing as you improved? Well, then later I started I started searching because I was like, well, this penny stock isn't really like doing penny stocks is not really working for me. And then I went into Ross Cameron's room and I was I saw his trainer Mike who did large cap stock and I was like, well, this is interesting. You know, you could have a $2,000 position, but if you have a $100 stock versus a $10 stock, you can give it so much more room if you have a 20 share position versus 200 share position. And so it ends up minimizing your risk. But if it has a large range throughout the day, aha, there you go. Smaller risk, larger reward, more opportunity. You know, when you said penny stocks, I think I do, I research all the time tips and tricks and things about day trading just to kind of stay fresh. And one of the most common things I see is avoid penny stocks if you're beginning day trading. Yeah. So when you mentioned that, I was like, oh no, I hope this isn't going the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. No, and not like not 
selling penny stocks, but the idea of it's so tough. It's so much risk on the table because there's such high volatility in those cheaper stocks that when you start opening up to the bigger stuff, like you said, you're not trading as big, but you're able to manage that risk. And that's what this is all about. It's not about how much you can do. It's quality over quantity. For sure. Well, and that's a problem too. There's, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans naturally, you know, and uh, what you described, you know, don't be the uh, bag holder is I see a lot on the message boards and stuff. Now people are all talking about, you know, being like a Tesla bag holder or like a, like a spy bag holder, like you're a bag holder in the S&P 500. That's sort of a incorrect use of the word like penny stocks. You'll see the purest form of people being bag holders on something that is pumped and dumped. So uh, yeah, don't be a bag holder, folks. Yeah, for sure. And don't be a stubborn short. Do not be stubborn on your shorting because because you could be like that big hedge fund that went ahead and shorted Tesla. And you know what? They thought the fundamentals said, hey, this is going in the tank. And the technicals on the chart said, no, we're going to the moon. And the shorts kept building and building and building. I think that's one thing I did take away from the penny stocks is a short squeeze. And it made me really aware of looking that even on larger cap stocks like Tesla, like SLV, which has had a major short squeeze for the past 50 days, it's been roughly 73% short volume, which is pretty insane that it's been going up and people are adding the same thing happened to Tesla. XRT, 83% short. Yeah. I mean, and Tesla has just been a sustained, um, you know, short squeeze for, we'll eventually find out what it's worth, but it's just been a short squeeze for years. Yeah. And uh, also it's, I've been tracking it ever since we had the pull down in the market in February. I go ahead and I have my spreadsheet of short volumes for some of the major stocks. I check it out every week as well. And it's crazy to see that there are so many people that are still shorting the indexes while it's changed from being most of the major stocks were being shorted to now there's a lot more confidence to the point where it was 65% say short volume on Microsoft and now it's down to 35%. So Microsoft is one of the largest holdings weight wise in the SPY. So if that one is going up, it's going to go ahead and drive the index up as well. It's going to really pull it up just like in the Qs or NASDAQ. And so when you see that divergence, it's like, well, then the index is likely going to have a squeeze when all these majors are having all that buying power. So it's pretty cool to be able to put the puzzle pieces together that I learned with penny stocks and bring that over to the large cap world and really sort of be a short squeeze person, but with a large cap stock. That's an interesting point you bring up because I've been looking at the indexes right now. I've been watching people buy NASDAQ, buy some of the, or um, buy Microsoft, buy some of these huge large cap companies. But where I think there's the interesting thing, I think people are okay buying that stuff because they're hedging themselves on some risk off scenario. You look at bonds, bonds are screaming to highs. We're right off all time highs in the bonds. Um, you've got gold all time highs. You have all currencies moving up except for the dollar. You have silver at I think nine year highs, something that like that right now. So you have so much buying coming into these markets across the board that one of these somewhere, something is going to snap and we're going to see that huge short come in. And if you've been struggling one way or the other, if you're not on the right side of it and you're not willing to adjust the way you view this, you can get hurt really bad. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
And right now, if you go back to the last FOMC meeting, they were talking about how they're pumping in $550 billion into the market and buying federally backed securities. So it's no wonder that bonds are hitting all-time highs. It's propping up the market. They've said, basically, we are going to do everything possible to go ahead and keep this market up. In my opinion, at the latest that we see a downturn, it will be November 4th, once the election is done. Um, you know, Trump doesn't want any blood on his hands. He's trying to really go ahead and move forward with a stimulus bill to come up with for the economy. He doesn't want that on his hands going into the election where he can't be out campaigning. And with the also with the medals, everything like that, if you go back and you look back in history, if you look back at 2008, what happened to the medals? Well, when the U.S. dollar devalued, where do people go? They go to the commodities and it ended up Silver went from $850 to $48 in a three-year time span. Gold also moved up at the same time. And right now, we're also looking at seasonality for the gold and silver sectors. The futures in themselves tend to move up at this time. Actually, the silver one tends to end August 4th. I was just looking at it on Equity Clock. Um, so putting it all together, it's no wonder that the metals are going up. People might be hedging it based on the dollar pulling back. Inflation was only at 3% instead of 3.1% expected. But when we're constantly printing money and putting it out there, we're going to devalue the dollar. So people are going to have to go somewhere. And bonds, for sure, people are buying them as well as the Fed to go ahead and prop the market up. And the metals, for sure. But I think potentially we're going to definitely see a downturn in the real estate market in the next year, as well as the S&P 500, I'm saying roughly November. You're after after my own heart there. That's yeah. where I got. That's where I got my. There's this huge divergence in like what inflation even is. I think I've talked about it on the show before, where we have this dual dynamic of the things that we use in baskets to measure inflation aren't really because technology is getting better, so we can make rice a whole lot cheaper. You know, the, the energy demands down, so oil's super cheap. But when you look at the things that people buy, you look at healthcare, education, uh, the stock market. Well, there's your inflation. Whoosh, off to the races. Cost 70 grand a year to go to the University of Chicago now. Exactly. Take classes online. Anyway. And that, that's one of the great reasons why I love Canada. You know how much it's going to cost for my girls to go to college? Roughly $200 Canadian a semester. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> that's part of the benefits of being a U.S. expat in Canada. But at the same time, you don't have the ability to everything like in the States because we have less people in the entire country of Canada than there are in the state of California. So there's not as many companies here. There's not The prices tend to be a little bit higher on general because they're also imported. But you take some and you lose some, right? There's always positives and negatives. Yeah, it goes both ways. Um, so yeah, you mentioned, you know, talking about schooling for your uh, children. How, how do you... Uh... You know, as you continue doing this, how did you balance sort of um, being a mom and trading? Yeah, for sure. Well, I put everything aside until my oldest daughter went to daycare because I knew that I could not devote the time that I needed to being into a trade and watching the market because it was a natural instinct to go and take care of my child and sort of let the trade sit there, um, which is not what you necessarily want to do when you're trading. You know, you want to have a clear head. You don't want to be distracted. You want to have the ability to be focused. Uh, of course, if it's 
a swing trade or longer term trade, it might be a little bit different from an intraday trade. Um, But intraday, you want to really be able to go ahead and monitor it, especially if you're in a super volatile stock. You don't want to necessarily turn your back and then it's gone against you and you forgot to put in a stop. Yeah, you, you can't do two things at once that demand your immediate attention. You know, it's just going to make both of them almost impossible. So that's cool. Um, so once your uh, daughter was enrolled in a prestigious Canadian daycare, uh, <laughs> what, what, how did you uh, change your trading? Well, that at that point, I was serious. I said, you know what? I need to go ahead and I need to stick to day trading and I need to find my strategy. And so I started turning into that uh, dork that had all these spreadsheets and I was tracking down gappers that were dropping and seeing how they reacted, seeing how they reacted three days later, which is even something uh, that they, Martin Buzzy Schwartz talks about. He's like the three-day rule, you know, go ahead. If it's three days up, three days down, be aware of that. Um, and so I started tracking that and I was trading a lot of reversals, uh, really, you know, roughly 11 o'clock time uh, in the market. And then slowly but surely, I started being consistent. And then I started going to small number of shares. I mean, I'm talking like two shares, three shares to get that experience of real money um, and getting the psychological feeling of trading real money. And then once I was doing well with that, then I started position sizing up um, and going forward from there. And then slowly but surely, I started sharing my experience online. And before I knew it, I had my Twitter, I had my blog, I wrote a book, I do annual seminars, and I speak at events and do podcasts and have my YouTube channel. So slowly but surely, the more that I share, the more that I give back to the community as I learn things. And now I'm in the process of studying for my CMT designation as well. That's amazing. I want to highlight something that you just said. You said it really quick, and I want to make sure anyone listening hears this. First off, you traded tiny when you started just to get used to live money. A lot of traders come into this, and the first thing they do is they go out and get a SIM account, and they start trading. And trading on SIM, yes, there is difficulty to it. It is difficult when you go from SIM to live money. Sim becomes really easy when you click live money and you're watching your PL move and knowing that's your money. That's a huge point that you just made. And I think everyone needs to hear what you just said. So you traded small till you got comfortable, till you created consistency, and then you started to scale up. Don't come in with size right away. Stay small and grow. Yeah, for sure. And in the beginning, I was really noting my trades what was happening to them. I think that's something that I've learned in hindsight too. I mean, I did it in the beginning as well, but knowing that there are all these outside factors that will influence your trading. If you ate well, if you slept well, if you have a a family emergency, if your child is sick, if you get into an argument with somebody, if you got into a car accident, you might be a little frazzled. Your brain might be thinking about that. If you have a new roof that's being put on. Um, so all these other factors that could influence your trading as well, you need to be aware of it. If your mind is not clear when you're sitting down to your trading desk, paper trade for the day. You can still watch the market. You can still learn from it. But be on point when you're getting in and out of your trades because you don't want to be overly exhausted. You don't want to get in a bad time of day. If you see that you have trades in the middle of the day that are unsuccessful, if that's not your peak time, don't trade. Get away from your desk. Go to the gym. Do something else. And track your 
strengths and weaknesses in your trades. That's such a great point. I think so many traders, they think that the trading is the job, but there's so much more to it. It's understanding yourself. It's understanding your environment that you're in. It's understanding, am I prepared to trade today? I, I've been at this since I was a little kid and I still, every day is the same process. Notepads everywhere, hard cards everywhere. I mean, every trade dictated on cards, every detail. <laughs> it, it, I kid you not, every little detail has to be recorded, no matter how long you've been doing this. That's such a spectacular point, right? I've got, I got those moleskin books, stacks of them everywhere. And I've transitioned <laughs> to hard cards because I store them better. <laughs> yeah here how about you lesson, jack any 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 uh, execution i use the excel spreadsheet all right <laughs> but uh dan jack's I, real high tech it's an audio yeah. medium dan's holding up a bunch of uh old <laughs> trading order cards there those are fun you gotta get me a pack of those oh i can't get you these anymore <sighs> i'm sure you could create it you could create it and there's probably a market for it well, once I left the prop firm, I walked away with 3,000 hard cards with my badge on it and held on to those. And uh, I love them. Very cool, Dan. Um, so you have uh, CJ and Trade. Is that sort of like the main place people can go and learn all things Jane? Or what, what, what can I find on there? Yeah, for sure. Well, CJ and Trade is uh, my website and blog. I also I blog on there as well, but I'm more doing into vlogs and video video um, explanations because I feel like people want to see that visual. They want to have someone walk them through it a bit more than just reading it. Um, in today's day and age, most people have short attention spans. Mm -hmm. And so having someone explain it to them with the visual and the auditory tends to be a little bit better than just reading it. Um, as well as I have a like a terminology video just for people that are absolutely brand new. And I also teach in the training pit at thedarkpools.com, which we haven't even touched on yet about the dark pools of the trading world. I, I started uh, after I wrote my book. I met Stephanie Cameron as one of the women that I interviewed for my book. It's much like the Market Wizards where it's an interview style book. And I took female traders from around the world with five months experience to 26 years of experience. And it was really a book that I was looking for as a female trader coming into the trading world. And that's how I was exposed to the dark pools. And then I did my first seminar, the Modern Trader Summit, and had Stephanie Cameron speak there. And she runs the uh, training pit, which is where I help educate traders about the dark pools and about just breaking into trading at all. Uh, so they can learn the absolute basics of a, a stock and option. We don't cover futures so much um, because we don't really trade them in those rooms, but we do use the futures for tracking what the spy is going to be doing. Um, but we get the dark pool prints on the equities and we see some crazy ones and we saw them on silver. We saw them on gold before the major move. We see them on Boeing. We see them on Coca-Cola. You know, we see them on a lot of the larger cap stocks where these really big guys are hiding millions of shares. Yeah. Where do you look to get that information? Because um, it, it, it's not something that you can just kind of get, right? Well, you could, you know, any trader could go ahead and get it from Data Trader Pro, um, but we use Charles Schwab for that. We have the ability to go ahead and create a scanner for the block trade so we can go ahead and see it. Um, there's also like data from this 
Chicago Board of Exchange, where you can sort the data, you can go ahead and filter it out, and you can go ahead and see these prints as they're happening. Or more in hindsight, you can see them, but you can sort back 12 years of data and you can see, hey, was this the biggest print that we had on this particular equity? And where do we stand in relation to it? We saw the 55 million shares that were sold on the SPY back in February before the drop. We were ready. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's always yeah. good to know what the uh, the big guys are doing. Absolutely. That's it. And we also create levels on the futures as well. So you can go ahead and be able to trade it according to this data. That's awesome. A quick question. When you are in these rooms, are you focused on a certain subset of stocks or are you running scanners and just looking for the higher volatile stocks at the time? No, when we're in the room, we already have our trading plan set up. So that's one of the big things too, is getting into the trading day. Once that bell rings, no thinking. Already have your plan set up. You have that trade. It's like taking a road trip, right? If you wanted to go on a road trip, how far are you going to go in the wrong direction before you're going to potentially turn around or ask for directions? You aren't going to go for two, three, four hours the wrong direction and then, oh my goodness, turn around. Well, it's the same thing with your trading plan. You want to go ahead and have that exit for turning around, right? Or going ahead and you have your final destination that you're aiming for, um, for your target. So we have that set up both long and short when we have these prints and we have the levels of as far as a resistance or support or bullish above or bearish below level that we're looking at, much like reminiscence of a stock operator. Why would you not take the higher probability trades once that level is broken? You know, you're going to go ahead and wait for it to prove itself that it's going in that direction and then capitalize on it. Awesome. Yeah. I think the, the reason is because it's hard. <laughs> it's easier right? to sit in something and watch it grind against you until you uh, have a disdain for life. Yeah. But the faster, it's like any sort of reflex and neuroplasticity is awesome in that you can create new neural pathways. And the more you practice getting out, the better you will get at it. I think that's great advice for everyone. Like the best people are the best at getting out when they need to get out. Getting out early. Right. I think you learn entry really quickly. People start to learn their entries. They feel very good about entries. It's getting out that's the hardest part. Knowing where you're going to get out. If you're going to, in a loss, it's really hard. Human nature dictates that we're going to sit in that loss until it comes back around. We don't really care how much we lose until we're forced out. And we're going to sit in a winner. Once it turns green, human nature says, take that money and run. Um, so getting out is one of the most difficult things to do. Yeah, for sure. And for all new traders, remember, we are human. We have emotions. There is no trader that is perfect 100% of the time. If you look at baseball players, the ones that have, what, 0.3 averages are pretty good. Well, if you have a 70% winning ratio and you're keeping your losers small, that's a pretty good trading ratio. Indeed it is. So, uh, James, um, yeah. if people want to find out more about you or uh, you know, visit your site, is the website the best place to go? Or can they go uh, Twitter or I don't know what the kids yeah. are, TikTok? Oh, uh, no, no. I never got on TikTok, thankfully. Um, but I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm It's Airplane Jane on Twitter. I'm Miss Airplane Jane on Instagram. Airplane Jane on YouTube. Uh, Jane Galena on LinkedIn. Facebook, Sugar Airplane Jane. Uh, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. Do you still my fly? Husband, my husband used to call me uh, Sugar Jane. Oh. That was after I bought him a, uh, what is it called? Alienware 
laptop. It's a nice little gift with some profits. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And to answer your question about flying, I leave it up to him. He is a commercial pilot and uh, I enjoy travel, but I do not fly myself. I'm not current. I haven't been current uh, in about 20 years. Yeah. I suppose, you know, it's sort of his thing. You got to give him that, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'll leave it to him. I'll leave it to him. Well, awesome. Well, Jane, you know, thank you so much for stopping by today. It was awesome talking to you. Um, really interesting stuff. And uh, I'm going to start looking more into those dark pools myself. So, yeah, uh, for scary. sure. Definitely check it out. It's awesome. And if you ever have any questions about the dark pools or where you want to find the data, happy to help you as well in, in finding out about it. And uh, it's a great tool to have in your back pocket because, like I said, when you can see a $16 billion position on the SPY and you go above it, well, then you know it's buying. You go below it, okay, it was selling. And then you have a pretty strong confidence that there's going to be a big move when it's that large. Yeah, that is a chunk of change right there. So, uh, Jane Galena, thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, everyone else, we will see you right after that weird sound effect. Folks, thanks for making it to the end of the Limit Up podcast, which, uh, as I usually say, is presented by Top Step Trader. Uh, Dan, what you doing this weekend? Oh, a lot of nothing. Um, just a standard weekend, another weekend on the lake. Um, that's about it. What about you? Sounds nice. I am heading to Wyoming on Monday. For, oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, my cousin's wedding. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, nice socially distanced outdoor affair. I mean, there's no more socially distanced state than Wyoming. <laughs> right. I think, I, think, uh, I think more people live in uh, one apartment building in Chicago than in all Wyoming. Yeah, I don't think there's an escalator in the entire state. I think that's a true fact. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to bring my mic and uh, interface and see if we can record the podcast from there. But I'm already tempering expectations for... Uh, Will you be flying or driving? I am going to be flying. So I've got my uh, N95 and my gloves and uh, I'm going to look like a lunatic. <laughs> well, you're going to look like everyone else walking through the airport, probably. Exactly. I was going to drive, but then the place wouldn't allow my dog uh, without a like $500 fee. So we're just going to bore that little sucker. Anyway, that's the world we live That'll in. It'll be a nice vacation for him. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, hope everyone out there that uh, you had a nice week trading and that you're having a grand old weekend as well. Um, get some relaxation in there. Don't think about it for a little bit. Uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new interview. In the meantime, namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.